Okay, well, we're going to carry on with our series on Ephesians today. So go ahead, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you'd like a title for this message, if you make notes, the title is The Privilege of Belonging. And we're going to confine ourselves today to just four verses, from verses 19, verses through to the end of 22 of chapter 2, and it reads as follows. Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as we have worshipped you in song, we now worship you around your word as I preach and those before me listen. Lord, in this moment, whether it be the preacher or the listener, would this be worship to you? Would we gather around your throne? Would we gather around your voice, your exhaled words? Lord, would you be with us? You can minister to people in a moment and change lives. And Lord, as we gather today about this most precious topic of the privilege of belonging, would our hearts be warmed and would our lives be changed? For you are good. Amen. One of my favorite Christian artists is a lady by the name of Catherine Scott. I've got a number of different CDs, and I enjoy the way she writes songs, and I also enjoy the way she takes hymns and changes them up and updates them a little bit to more modern styles and so on and so forth. But one of my favorite songs that she does is a song called I Belong, and it reads as follows. Not angels nor demons, no power on earth or heaven, no distance nor danger, no trouble now or ever. No hardship, nor hunger, no pain or depth or sorrow. Not weakness, nor failure, no broken dream or promise. Nothing can take me away from your great love. Forever this truth remains. I belong. I belong to you. I belong. I belong to you. I belong. I belong to you. Today, I want to talk about the privilege of belonging, the privilege that comes to us through Christ's reconciling work, the privilege that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we not only belong to God, but we belong to one another. There's a privilege of belonging as we see here in this text, in these four verses, the privilege of belonging to a new nation, a new family, and a new temple. See, in so many ways, these four verses, although we looked at them last time in a larger text, they're worth isolating by themselves because they are in so many ways a culmination of all that Paul has talked about so far. So out of the whole of chapter 1 and the whole of chapter 2, 
It is these last four verses that Paul brings it to a culmination and brings it to a conclusion. See, in verses in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul has in so many ways, as we've seen, taken us on a trip down memory lane. He's helped us to see that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were lost. We were dead and buried, cut off from God. We, at that time, lived our lives. We freely walked following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and we freely carried out, at that point in our lives, the passions of our flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. And as such, as we've seen, we were objects of wrath. Remember a few weeks ago, we heard the story about Jessica and how she was down the pipe, a three-year-old girl down an eight-inch pipe, and the rescuers came in and took her out. Well, our fall was far more perilous than Jessica's. We were dead. We were lost. And yet, we also read in these two chapters that God, in his grace, stepped in. But God, we read, he came after us in grace and in mercy and love. He pursued us with the death and resurrection that he bore on the cross. And through the cross, God, in amazing grace, reconciles us to himself. He makes a way for us to be forgiven of our sin, as we read in chapter 1. He makes a way for us to be redeemed and adopted. He makes a way on the cross for us to know that heaven is our home. He rescues us, and incredible grace reconciles us to himself. But we also read in these two chapters, he doesn't just reconcile us to himself. He reconciles us to one another. And then he brings us together and puts us together. We were as Gentiles, as we read in chapter 2, which is really all of us in this room, unless you be a Jew. We were all strangers and aliens, and we were all without God and without hope in the world. And then in verse 19, Paul, as a culmination, moves his argument of helping us see you were dead, but God saved you. He reconciled you to himself, and he reconciled you to one another. He builds it to a culmination, a conclusion, by helping us see that through Christ's reconciling work on the cross, as Christians, we all now have the privilege of belonging. In verse 19, he simply says, So then, i.e., in light of, in light of all this, in light of who you are, but who you are now, in light of the fact that you've been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another, in light of all that, so then, so then you all belong. I belong. As a Christian, you belong. You see, for the Apostle Paul, church wasn't just something you attend or tag along to on a Sunday. For the Apostle Paul, church wasn't just a club or, or a cafe that we pop in and out on. We, we come sometimes and we take it and leave it. To the Apostle Paul, church was something far greater. It was huge and vast in its worth. We were indeed planned and chosen in eternity, but now he begins to transition in these verses to help us see, you've been reconciled to one another though. I'm building a new race. God is building a new nation, a new family, a new temple, something of vastness, something of worth, something of grandeur that makes a difference not only in this world, but in the heavenly realms, as we'll read about in chapter 3. And so even in these four verses, as Paul now begins to pull back the curtain on the local church, on the bride of Christ, the body, the temple, he starts to help us see that you were saved not only to be reconciled to God, but to be reconciled to one another. And he paints this wonderful picture then with three metaphors that help inform us what church really is. There's a citizenship metaphor, 
There's a family metaphor, and then there's a temple metaphor. And you need to understand something. As we gather around these three word pictures today that Paul is going to give us about the church, that is what God says about the church. You see, you may have come from a church, you may have various different backgrounds, and our backgrounds all lead us in to consider, well, that's what church is, I know it is. I go on a Sunday, I hear the preached word, and then I go home, and then I have a nice life, and then I go back on a Sunday. No, hang on a minute. Let's abandon all what we think the church is. Let us go back to the divine voice of God and let us hear what he says about his body, what he says about his church, what he says church really is as biblically defined. And I believe if we do that, if we realize that this is God's word, this is what he says about the church, this is what he says about the way it operates, I believe it's life-changing because it changes everything when you realize this is true. So let's go ahead and look at the first metaphor which is quite simply a citizenship metaphor. Each metaphor comes with a point. And so here's point one. As Christians, we belong to a new nation. It says that in verse 19. The first part of it, it says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. He alludes there back to verse 12. We were, we were strangers and aliens. We were cut off from God. We were separated from Christ. We had no idea, because we weren't a Jew, that the Messiah was even going to be coming. And we had no hope that he was going to become, because we were just clueless in the way we operated in our lives. We were aliens and strangers, as per verse 12, to the commonwealth of Israel, and therefore the covenant of promise. And as such, we divinely see the assessment on our lives is we are without hope and without God in the world. But not anymore. Through Christ, all this has changed. Through Jesus Christ, we now belong to a new nation, a new race. As we saw last time, the temple walls have come down. As Jesus Christ declared, it is finished, not only was the curtain torn in two, giving us access to God, but the walls of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, man and woman, have come down. We've been reconciled, brought into a new race through Christ's reconciling work on the cross. Despite our race, our language, the color of our skin... We belong to a new nation, a new race, the church. Sovereign Grace has a pastor's conference every year, and I had the privilege, as you know, of attending a few weeks ago. And one of the joys of going is that you get to see so many people from different tribes and languages and nations. And so you're chatting to somebody who's from Korea, and he's talking to you about what's happening in Korea. And then next to him is a German, and you say, oh, hello. And they say, hello. And you're talking in a different language. And you think, I don't understand everything you're saying, but, but we'll run with this. And then you meet someone else from Burma. And you're chatting to different folk, and here's the thing. I feel more joined with them than I do my unbelieving neighbor. Because they're part of a new nation in the same way I am. I feel we have more in common. We have more uniting us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ than I do with the people that I walk the street with. That doesn't mean we ignore the people in the street. That's a different message. But in the context of church, we realize, no, There is something unique about God bringing people together from tribes and languages and nations and knitting them together as a new nation. It's one of the things I love about this local church. I mean, it's incredible, really, just how many different nations 
we have represented in this church. We have people from Australia, England, Germany, Nigeria, Switzerland, South Africa, America, Korea, China, the Philippines, and that's just the ones I know about. You know, this is remarkable that God is taking us from different tribes and language and nations, New Zealand, <laughs> tribes and language and nations, and I, I saw them going, well, he hasn't mentioned me. <laughs> He's taking us from tribes and language and nations and he's knitting us together as a new body and as a new nation. So I want to encourage you folks, let the divine assessment on who we really are affect your lives. See, as Christians, we can still be so patriotic about our own nation. And so I watch the ashes and I think, yeah, the Aussies suck, the England are the best. And you think, you know, there's nothing wrong with some fun and having laughter and enjoy our different cultures. But here's the thing. I have, I have a British passport. I'll always be English. And if God wills it that we stay in Australia for the rest of our lives, that's what we'll do. But I'll always be English. Because that's my nation. That's where I was born. You know, different ones of you hold different passports. Korean passports and German passports. Is there a New Zealand passport? Canadian passports and American passports. But this isn't what defines us. We're not defined by what it says at the back of my passport saying what nationality I am in. This defines us. We're no longer defined primarily by being Korean or American or British or anything else. We're defined by this. God is taking us and taking us from different tribes and language and nations and knitting us together as one body. One nation. There is something grand about that, is there not? Paul in Colossians 1 verse 13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, corporately, from every tribe and language and nation, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We are united, despite our race and our backgrounds, into one kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom where he is king. The kingdom where he watches over our lives. The kingdom where we all bow the knee, despite the color of our skin, to serve one savior and one king. It's a new nation. There is something grand and incredible about it. Dave Harvey, he's one of the guys that leads Sovereign Grace, says, God does not call us out from this corrupt generation so that we can meander meaninglessly over the Christian landscape. A meeting here, a teaching there, an occasional small group just for variety, No, we have been called out to be added in. Isn't that wonderful? We are the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. Not to go our separate ways, but to be added in. Folks, the people that are around you, the people that are around you and sitting next to you, if they are brothers and sisters, if they are in the faith, if they are Christians, then regardless of our race and color, we're fellow citizens together fellow citizens of a new nation, something huge, something vast, something grand. And Paul wants us to see that. He doesn't want divisions to be because of our race. He doesn't want the Koreans just going off and doing their thing and the English just going off and doing their thing and the Chinese saying, I'm sorry, but we're not hanging out with you Aussies. That's not the way it was meant to be. It's one nation, God taking people and bringing us together to build the kingdom of God. That metaphor is obviously grand, and Paul's doing that deliberately. And he's doing it deliberately because he then contrasts something with it which is very intimate. 
He goes from giving us a citizenship metaphor to a family metaphor. How intimate is that? How precious is that? One minute we realize we're knitted into a nation, the next minute we realize, no, it's more intimate than that. We're knitted into a family. Here's point two. As Christians, we belong to a new family. Verse 19 again. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's beautiful. In chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, Paul has already told us that in love, God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. He's telling us, you as individuals, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if this is your story, before there was even time, he chose you and he predestined you in particular for adoption. Singularly, you're a child of God. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're a child of the King, a child of God. But here Paul is expanding that. He's helping us see you're not only a child of God, but you're members of a family. Corporately, you're children of God, members of a household. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul simply talks about it this way. He just says, you know what you lot all are? Your mothers and your fathers and your brothers, and your sisters. You've been brought together by the blood of the Lamb. He's now knitting you together, not only as a nation, but as a family. You see, household in, in really New Testament times, the whole premise of being a part of a household is really to be part of a family. The premise was that this was a group of people who accepted you, who protected you, who cared for you, who supported you, who did life with you, a people whom you joined arms with and you knew within that household, I'm safe, I'm cared for, I'm protected. A household where quite simply you know, I belong here. They know my name and I know theirs. And when the good times are good, I'm a part of this household. And when the troubling times are troubling, I'm still part of this household because we're a family. I grew up in a family like that. I know for some of you, you didn't. I know for some of you didn't have that privilege of growing up just in a stable home where there's mum and dad and they're caring for you in specific ways. I'm very grateful to God that, that I did. I grew up in a home where I was cared for and where I was protected. My dad did lead the home. He was a, and is a wonderful father. Shouldn't have gone there. I come from a wonderful home. And it was a home and still is where I, I belong. I'm safe there, I'm supported, I'm cared for, I'm protected. You come downstairs in your slipper and one sock that is odd and a t-shirt and shorts and they don't care because you belong. It's just Dave. He's our son. We love him. He's part of the family. I had the privilege of growing up in a situation where my dad would talk to me about what it meant to grow up as a young man. So I remember one time my brother had got beaten up at school and I went to the same school. I was about 10 and my brother was 7 and my brother got beaten up and my dad, as my brother was telling this story over dinner, my dad was saying, really, Andrew, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Dave, where were you? I said, well, I was, I was playing football and I could kind of see there was a bit of trouble but I thought he'd be all right. And he, he stood up graciously and said, son, we're family and we stick together. And so when your brother's in trouble, that's your responsibility. And it affected me. And even at 10 years old, I realized, 
Yeah, we're family. We have to be there for one another. Through the good times and the bad times, we link arms and we are together. You know what Paul is saying here? He's saying that should be church. Church should be like that. A local church is not just a nation, it's, it's a family. A family of people that commit to one another, that commit in membership to a family, and within that membership, they then receive unearned, intimate inclusion. A place where they're protected. A place where they're cared for. A place where people know their names. A place where they're able to serve. A place when the times are bad, they can just come in and say, you know what, times are bad. And you say, you know what, that's okay. Have a sit down. Because you're family. You belong. You know, just this week I was thinking of some of the sayings we used to say in England. And I was asking Patrick if you say them here, and it sounds like you do. But I was thinking about a couple in particular. And one saying I grew up with is that, you know, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You ever said that one? Choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? That is church. You can choose your friends. But God in grace is knitting us together as a family. He puts us together with people that you think, oh, man, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that I was going to be hanging out with them all the time. But lo and behold, God has brought them into your family. That's what he's done. And if you find somebody else difficult in the family, guess what? They probably find you hard as well. That's family. There's always somebody in our lives that you think, man, that brother or sister, I find them difficult. And they're sitting there saying, man, I find that brother and sister difficult. You think that is the kindness of God to you both. That is the kindness of God as he knocks edges off one another through different gifts and different abilities and different strengths and different, different abilities. That is family life. You can't choose your family. Choose your friends. But family is God-given. And family is people that are knitted together despite language and background and nation and belonging and lifestyle. They come together in Jesus Christ. Another saying that we used to say is blood is thicker than water. And particularly in English, you'd be very proud of son. Blood is thick in the water. The whole premise is we must be there for the family. We must be there for the family. This is family time. We don't just buck out on family time. You know, Dave, there's a family meeting. Oh, I'm busy. <laughs> you what? Blood is thick in the water, son. It cancel everything. We need to be together as a family. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, you know what? That, that is right. Blood is thicker than water. But that doesn't just relate to a bloodline family. That relates to a church because we are all joined as family through the bloodline of Jesus Christ. We have been united in his death and united in his resurrection. So as you look at my birth certificate and you look at your birth certificate, you obviously have different parents to me, but ultimately above it all, you will see the blood of Christ. He's united us all as brothers and sisters, as family members, people that we can come together. And as you realize that, as you realize that fundamentally, the New Testament church is family, the rest of the New Testament then starts to make sense. Because outside of that, it doesn't make sense. Just to tag along to a church on a Sunday and then go home does not make sense. Because how would you do these? John 13, Jesus says, love one another. Romans chapter 12, Paul exhorts us to be joined to one another and, and, listen, and devoted to one another. I was thinking about that this week. Devoted to one another. Does that reflect Sovereign Grace Church? He's, 
He's building us together from different tribes and languages and nations as brothers and sisters. And the command is, be devoted to one another. You know what that is? That's family. I'm devoted to my brothers and sisters. Naturally, and what Paul is saying, yeah, you should feel like that about the church as well. You should feel like that about the people that are around you. Because with family, Romans 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with one another and weep with one another. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Care for one another. In Galatians, then Paul says, To serve one another and carry one another's burdens. How do you do that unless you know each other? How can you serve one another or care or carry one another's burdens unless you're investing the time to become family, to actually become functionally what we've been declared theologically? James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. 1 John 1 says, fellowship with one another. And Colossians 3.13, again, bear with one another. I was thinking about that. Why, why do we need to bear with one another? Well, often if it's just Sunday morning church and we go home, we don't because it's just a service. But you start getting involved in each other's lives, you have to start bearing with one another because you think, man, he trod on my toes. And God, I found that difficult. And This is family life. This is what it means to be brothers and sisters. You link arms and you stick together through the good times and the bad and you bear with one another and show devotion to one another and you join with one another. That is what the New Testament teaches local church is. So whatever your background, whatever my background, it means nothing. Let us be biblically defined. We're a new nation and we're a new family joined through the blood of Jesus Christ so here's a question for you. How do you view, honestly, those around you who are Christians? How do you view them? Do you leave on a Sunday morning thinking, man, I need to care for that guy or that woman because they're my brother and sister? If you don't, then let God's word minister to your mind and your heart because this is what it's meant to be. Family. The third metaphor then is a temple metaphor. And we learn this, number three, as Christians we belong to a new temple. We've seen how we're a nation, we've seen how we're a family, but there's more than that. We're also a temple. Let's read verse 20. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know what? Whether we realize it or not, and whether we feel it or not, God is right now busy at work building us into a building. What type of building? A dwelling place for him. You know, that could be so hard to get our heads around. What does that mean? How is he building us together as different bricks and building us into a temple? Well, it may be hard to get your head around, but that doesn't make it not true. It's true. We are being built together as a temple of the Lord. And it's important to realize as we examine those verses that this dwelling has three distinct characteristics. First characteristic is that this church, this temple, this new temple, is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Quite literally, what that means is the teaching of the biblical apostles and prophets. What was the teaching of the biblical apostles and prophets? It was the gospel. 
It was the coming of Jesus Christ. And then upon arrival of Jesus Christ, it is the apostles looking back to Christ, brandishing the gospel, applying the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel. The foundation of the local church is Christ and Him crucified. It's the foundation of the universal church, and any pastor worth his salt, it should be the foundation of his local church, which he has been entrusted. That's why we take so long to ground in the gospel. You know, here at Sovereign Grace, I just know that we all get accused of, man, you're always going on about the gospel. Yes, of course we are. It's because it's the foundation of the whole church. Whichever room you go into in the temple, the foundation is the gospel. So what is the foundation of the life group room? It's the gospel. What is the foundation of the counseling room? It's the gospel. What is the foundation of the teaching room? It's the gospel. What is the foundation of the children's room? It's the gospel. The foundation of any local church and any universal church as God builds it is and must be the gospel. The truth of Christ and Him crucified. The truth that He rose again three days later. The truth that He now resides at the right hand of God and He came to save people. Around then this temple, as we take a look at it some more, we realize it's not only built on the foundation of the gospel, but it's also built around the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. You know when they discovered and when they were spending more time looking at Solomon's temple... It was smashed to pieces in AD 70. The Romans came in and destroyed it, which is an incredible feat because these rocks were huge. But they destroyed it all so that not any one rock was on another rock. But they found a cornerstone. The cornerstone of Solomon's temple was 39 feet long. One piece of rock, a huge, bo- a huge piece of rock, carefully cut, 39 feet long. That's the sign of a train carriage. This cornerstone was the most important brick in any temple, in any building, because this cornerstone would be the first thing that was laid. The foundation goes in, and then the very first thing that you would put down is this massive cornerstone. It would determine the line of the temple, how it was shaped. It would determine the size of the temple, depending on how big this stone was. It would determine the structural integrity of this whole building. It would be the whole, pre- the whole thing would be built around this cornerstone. Our cornerstone is Jesus. Everything relates from Jesus and to Jesus. Everything in the local church must align itself to Jesus. Because without that, we start to become a bit of a funny shape. It starts to break down. It just doesn't work. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the gospel, and it is aligned and structured around the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's building a church, foundations, the gospel, the cornerstone, Jesus. What is mind-blowing then is the materials he's then using. See, the materials aren't stones of bricks and mortar. They're living stones. The walls of this temple are us. A people that were once separated from God by a physical wall. He is now saying, I'm taking you from every tribe and language and nation and I'm knitting you together and building you together in a new temple, not built with stones, but built with people. As they come together and as they link arms and as they spend time together for the glory of God, he is building people together to be a dwelling place for him. The dwelling place for God is no longer a physical location. We don't go to church. We are the church. 
It's no longer a physical location that we've just got to, I've just got to find the temple. It's here. Because where people are joined together, he's taking us different stones at the time and he's carving bits off us there and carving bits off us here. And he's saying, now you stand there. That's your part in the wall. You're my temple. God dwells not just in a place anymore. He dwells with a people. Folks, church is not just something that we attend or tag along to on a Sunday, like a club or a cafe or some type of fun activity or anything like that. The local church is biblically defined as a new nation, a people that God is building together, a family of brothers and sisters bought through the blood of Jesus Christ, a temple that he is building together from different stones from all the way around the world and knitting people together. We don't go to church. We are the church. So how do you apply it? Well, there's two groups of people that as I consider this message and as I prayed that I really felt the Lord put on my heart. And so how do we apply as we gather around these three metaphors? Well, well, simply this. Number one, I just want to address first and foremost, folks, that to be honest, you're attending, but you're not committing. You're attending, and maybe you go to a church on a Saturday night, and you start coming along to Sovereign Grace on a Sunday morning, and you go somewhere else on a Sunday night, and you attend, but you're not committed anywhere. There's not somewhere there where you'd say, you know what, that's my local church. That's my pastor who I want to submit to, as the book of Hebrews says, and these are the guys I, I want to follow. This is the church that I want to be my family, that I want to actually functionally operate and brothers and sisters with. For me, one church is more than enough if you really want to be a family. If God is bringing us together, we need to be committed within the context. And if we're going to be a temple... We can't be committed in here, and then we're also committed in here, and we're also committed in it. God says, no, you're a brick. Work out where you're meant to be, and then give yourself there. Apply yourself. You can't be a brother and sister here and a brother and sister there. I know you all are because we're part of the universal church, but functionally, I just need a, a family for that. I give them family where I can give myself to and where I can play my part. Folks, if you are attending but not committing, I, I really do exhort and appeal to you to find a place that you can call home and completely give yourself to it in the grace of God. Get committed in. Throw yourself in. Submit yourself to a group of people that you say, I'm with you. And if this church is going great, I'm going to enjoy it. And if this church is going through some challenges, then I'm going to go through some challenges with it. Because this is my family. This is where I belong. This is where God in his grace has knitted me. And you see, to not do that, I think is to completely misunderstand what God says about church. It's to completely and utterly misunderstand what a high view the Bible has on church. If the church really is a new nation, if it's a family that you do life together with, if it's a body, as we'll see later on, if it's a bride, the bride of Christ, which Jesus Christ in grace lay his life down for, if this really is a temple, a building, where corporately as we meet, he dwells, man, that's huge. This is a huge view of church than what the Bible paints out. And so I believe to not be knitted in then and committed somewhere in particular is to completely misunderstand the way the Bible talks about church. One Australian pastor writes, Let us note that what the Lord desires is a corporate expression. It takes many living stones to create a temple of the kind that the Lord is building. One believer 
no matter how spiritually mature, can ever qualify as the temple alone. You can't. And people try. I remember back home, we did, and people would come along on a Sunday morning and you'd say, hey, do you want to go on starting point so that you consider being actually be a committed member of the church and be a part of what we're doing? Oh, no, I don't like membership. Okay. Um, well, the Bible's quite clear that that's how it kind of functions. There's a place where you're knitted in. and No, I don't want that. You see, they viewed themselves really as lone rangers for Jesus. You know, you get saved. And then you get on silver and you ride off into the sunset and you visit different places and this is all the church. This is a, the, the world is my kingdom. And you think, no, that's not, that's not the way the Bible portrays it. That's not the way it functions and it was meant to be. It's like a brick. And you're talking to a brick and you say, mate, you are a brick. And they say, no, I'm not in the temple. No, no, you're, you're definitely a, a brick. You need to get knitted into somewhere to be the temple. I don't want to get knitted in. I'm a brick for Jesus what? Later on in the Bible, it starts talking about the church being a body. It's like a finger alone saying, I am the body for Jesus. No, you're a finger. Well, no, because I can point, I can check it, I'm very independent. No, without my body, you suck. You will not be able to do very much at all. That's what we do when we're not connected, when we're not committed in, when we're not giving ourselves to a body. To not get committed in is to misunderstand what the Bible says. And also to not get committed in which is my biggest concern, is to completely miss out. Reuben Welch says, Of course we believe in the total adequacy of Jesus Christ to meet the total need of the total person. But we must remember this also. He saves into the context of the community of faith. It isn't Jesus and me. It is Jesus and we. The Bible always talks about Jesus and we, a family nation, a temple. And you know, for me, that truth, the truth of Jesus and we thrills my heart. I'm thrilled that it's Jesus and we. See, I need Jesus in my life. But so often, I need somebody to be Jesus to me. Well, I'm finding just I'm low or I'm anxious. Yes, I need Jesus, but I often need a brother or a sister to come to me and say, hey, how's your confidence in the Lord doing? I need someone to be Jesus to me in those moments. I thank God for local church that I've experienced for the last 17 years, a place that truly has been for me, family, and growingly that's what's happening here too, a place where you're going to get encouraged and prayed for and cared for, a place that you can know intimate inclusion, which isn't just based on performance, but it is based on God's knitted you in. So here we go. We're a family and we move forward together. So folks, if you are attending but not committing, this isn't a party political broadcast to join Sovereign Grace Church. I'm not worried about that. So if you say, you know what, you're probably right and I feel joined to a church down the road, well, praise God for that. I am absolutely thrilled about that. And go give you there. Give everything you've got. Serve. Be a brother or sister to those family. Give it everything. But if it's here, then that's Great too. I'd encourage you to get on a starting point. You can sign up for it at the back. It starts in February. It's 10 weeks. And it just talks about what do we really believe as a local church? How do we function? And the whole course is designed so that you can see if this is somewhere that you think, I think I'd like to give myself to this family. All right. And God bless you. And welcome. But the issue isn't here. I do want you to get committed in somewhere. The second group that I want to address are folks that are actively pursuing becoming a part of this church. And you know who you are. 
Folks, if you're on the church planting team, then unless you are blind, you will have noticed that we are not the perfect church. We haven't got it all worked out. Sovereign Grace haven't just come in on some white chariot and here we are. It's, no, it's more like, here we are. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's more a group of people that are going to have a go and going to try and link together and help and aid. So if you're on the church planting team, thanks for sticking with us. And listen, quite honestly, I can't thank God enough for you for sticking with me and walking with me this far. Thank you for the way you serve, the way you pray, the way you care for me, the way you encourage me. Thank you for following me. Many of you are older than I. And as a younger guy, it thrills my heart that you would walk with me and you would let me pastor you. Thank you for walking humbly. I'm aware for some of you, I'm saying to you, you know what? We just don't do that in sovereign grace. And you think, oh my gosh, what do you mean we don't do that? And you feel like you're walking around in in new shoes and it can be the challenge of how does this operate then and how does this function? When you may feel like you're walking around in new shoes, but you're doing a good job of it. Thanks for humbly walking in them and giving me the privilege of serving you and giving us together the privilege of walking together and starting to build something. Also, for those that are on starting point group, you bring me more joy than you know. I'm thrilled to see what God is doing. I didn't know any of you before, but you see how God is taking us and bringing people together that as the foundations of Sovereign Grace Church and go in still in many ways, you're a part of them. And God's called you and he's knitted you together. You are a pure joy. We will miss not seeing you every Thursday night. I did have an email this week to say, that's okay, we'll just carry on coming. We'll call it Food Point. And you're like, no, that isn't going to function. But I'm thrilled that you are joining us and I'm thrilled to see what God will do in your lives as you take your place in the temple that he's building and you also start to build and serve as part of this family. But for both of you guys, whether you're on starting point or whether you're on the church planting team, as your pastor, I just simply want to conclude by raising your eyes upwards. This is all his doing. I'm not even that smart. I don't know how to build this. I could, there's so many different things going on in your thing. I don't know how that all works. It's just God in his grace. And so the best way I can serve you as we conclude chapter 2, seeing that we're a temple, that we're a family, that we're a nation, is to raise your eyes upwards and say, folks, this is all the Lord's doing. Just six months ago, this church didn't even exist. I mean, look around. Look around and see what the Lord is doing. Six months ago, I... I didn't know hardly any of you. I'd had an email conversation with one or two of you, but I didn't know you. I was still living my life in Wales. It was raining there as well. It was just cold rain. But I'm getting on with my life in Wales, preparing to come to Australia, wondering how this will all function, wondering who I will find there. But now here we all are, being brought together and knitted together by God. Six months ago, many of you didn't know each other. You were unaware of each other's names, each other's lives, and yet now, albeit imperfectly and albeit slowly, you're being knitted together by the grace of God as as family. You're starting to feel like family. 
It's not just a name above your head, but you're starting to feel that. They are my brother and sister. They are people that I feel joined to and I want to be with. I see Julie and Rhonda on a Thursday night and you think, how long have you known each other? Is it like 40 years? I mean, how does this function? And you just realize that is the Lord's doing. And would it be good in our eyes as we feel for one another and show affection for one another? That's God. Just a few months ago, some of you in this room had completely given up on church. You had decided it wasn't for you. And you had no real intention of going back to church at all. And yet now you're here and your arms are high and you're worshipping the Lord and you are amazed by grace. That's not me because I can't do that. That is the Lord's doing. Just four months ago before we even planted this church, a number of you sitting in the room today were not believers. You weren't even trying to live for Jesus Christ. There was no affection for Jesus Christ. There was no desire to belong to a church. You didn't desire to belong to Jesus. And yet now a whole number of you in this room are here worshipping the Lord. He saved you, and in His grace, He's knitted you together into a family, a local church, Sovereign Grace Church. That's the Lord's doing. Just four months ago, I sat with the young adults team And it was an interesting moment. And it was an interesting moment because I realized we had four. And you think, it's going to be a long year as we um, try and reach out. And you know what? We sat together. I was there and Peter Malone was there and these four youngster guys. And we just prayed and said, Lord, would you give us young people? Would you give us young and men, men and women that can be added to this church who will love the gospel, who will link arms together and seek to know the gospel and apply the gospel and be passionate about taking it out to a younger generation? Just two weeks ago then, I was sitting at Manly Beach. The youngsters had decided that it would be a good idea to go surfing. I feel that I'm far too old for surfing, but I'll watch. So I came with my nice little English chair that I set up and... <laughs> Very lovely, hello, yes, and that's what you do when you're from England. And as I sat there, obviously, I quickly realized we were in the wrong place. So we we phoned around, where is everybody? We realized, no, we are in the right place, just they were at the pub and they were going to come through in a moment. So, okay, good. So we sat there and and I was talking to Mark and Bianca, and then I turned around and I saw Brendan, and I saw him with about 15 people coming towards me. And I thought, thought, that's just your doing. I remember praying just a few months before and now there's these 15 people coming towards me and then I looked again and I realized that was only half the group because another 15 then appeared behind him and there was all these young people and I thought, Lord, you have been so kind to us, so good to us. My friends, if you're pursuing membership in Sovereign Grace Church, thanks. Thanks for being willing to do life with a guy like me and giving me the privilege of serving you. But at the same time as doing that, look around and enjoy it, but then ensure that all eyes go upwards. This is all the Lord's doing. Would it be excellent in our eyes? And would all glory then go to him? Let me pray for you. And we probably won't sing a song. Good. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of family. I thank you that you are building us together as a local church, not as a 
sermon center or as a place where we can just go along if we feel like it. But you're building us together as a family and a temple with deep relationships, with people from different languages and tribes built together on the foundation of the gospel, the cornerstone of Jesus, with deep love and affection for one another. Lord, this is excellent in our eyes. Thank you. And Saviour, thank you for making all of this possible. Without your death and resurrection, there is no story. There's no story of Sovereign Grace Church. There's no story of any church in Sydney. There's no story for each of us either. But you died and you rose again so that we may have life and life in abundance. How can we thank you enough for what you are doing? And with all glory, Lord, go to you. Amen.